0: I'm here with Glenn Galaxy. Yes, is, is that is that correct? It's correct. It's on your birth certificate. Yeah, uh, Gl- Glenn Galaxy. Glenn Galloway. Galaxalag. Yep. Are there any more that I should know about?
1: Mm, I think that's. I think that covers it.
0: Okay. Yep. Glenn uh, has a lot of different music projects mm-hmm. um, that are. All very unique in their own ways. And uh I'm here today at his singing serpent studio in San Diego to discuss his band Soul Junk, which what what was the uh is Soul Junk essentially you're the you're the constant. Yeah. In yeah. Soul Junk and it's been I I'd like to say at least four or five different bands over the years.
1: Yeah, so um I have been a constant. My brother John has been um the bass player for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um and then the current the current lineup has been the same. Um it's it, my son Jude on drums, uh, my brother John on bass and uh, my brother Brian on on guitar and keys. And so then, it's a family unit. It is definitely a family unit. Yep. Yeah. And wow. that was ever since um
0: that's that's been about 12 years now wow yeah great so it you still are you still currently like is Souljunk active at the moment would you say we um, so the
1: last thing we did was we played um, 13 months ago we we did a show and any time and then before that we played in we played in Norway at a festival and so it's it's kind of been, you know, people will say, Hey, does Soul Junk wanna play? And then, you know, we'll we'll just practice like crazy for two months. I don't I don't like the reunion show thing, so I want it to feel like an active band, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
0: Well well that's great. Mm-hmm. It,
1: so how did it how did it come about? Soul Junk came about um, in 1993, and I was I was uh, in the back of a pickup truck, and I had I had um, I was with Truman's Water, and we were on a U.S. tour.
0: And Truman's Water, just some background for uh... Truman's Water was this um,
1: very noisy um, noise rock band in the early 90s, and it was it was wonderful. We just started um, very close to here in San Diego. And, um, these guys put, um, an ad in the paper and it was like, uh, um, vocalists wanted brains, brains optional.
0: And,
1: <laughs> and I answered that because I couldn't afford an instrument at the time. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, eventually one of them like bought me a, a $70 PV guitar at a pawn shop and I was, I was ready to go, you know? Nice. And so, um, Truman's Water kind of all of a sudden got to go to Europe and, and tour around and put records out because John Peel um, found one of our handmade records and like was playing whole sides of it on on his show and oh, wow. we did several Peel sessions and so it was kind of like you know zero to ninety with that band we just went from playing for you know fifteen people at the Casbah here in town to you know playing in London opening for babes in toyland opening for fugazi it was it was it yeah. was a wild couple of years and so in the middle of that i we were we were on these long drives and and um long story short i just really heard god speak to me clearly of come out and do your do this new thing that i'll show you to do and it was the most bizarre experience because it was just uh you know, we'd we'd have these long drives and I just remember, um um I wrote I read the Gospel of Luke front to back on a drive from um Louisville to D C and then the next day we drove from D C to Chapel Hill and I read all of the Book of Acts and it was following that where I was just like, This is this is this is where I'm living and I just that was in the days following was when I heard God just just speak like I got something new for you.
0: And um, it sure was too. Now, yes. I, I feel like people who aren't familiar with your music, which is a lot, yeah. um, are going to hear this story and think, okay, so he's like following orders from god to leave this experimental rock band and yes go play god's music and i'm gonna just drop in right here i think it's the first track on your first album, the yeah. Lord's saxophone yes is that right yeah okay so here's here's a little bit of that gospel yes right? absolutely absolutely and um, and so that album and subsequent ones for a while it was pretty much just straight- up biblical mm-hmm. lyric content mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. with the occasional like yeah all right thrown in exactly um, I mean you had some original uh, lyrics on those as well yeah the bulk of that was was that just uh what
1: yeah i guess i guess what it was is i was in a very strange headspace of i was i was one of these like what i was most of what i was listening to that at that time was like japanese noise free jazz like it was kind of like as far as you can stretch me that's where i want to go i want i i love the boredoms i loved you know um I remember I was listening to like late period Coltrane all the time, Eiler. Um, um, I remember a voice crack record, Borb Borb de Magus, that I love. Like, I was into just going as far sonically as I could. Yeah. But at the same time, I was, I was, I had come off several years of, of uh, running as hard as I could from God and having him find me at the end of that. And so when I reconnected, it was, it was deep. Like it was not, it was kind of like, I remember just going like, I can't go back to what I had before, but feeling God just say like, don't worry, I have something more for you. So I was on this, this very unique trajectory of, of being like, like all in spiritually, um, spending just tons of time with God, tons of tons of time, just like really saying, show me what it means to be alive spiritually show show me who you are show me and at the same time like chasing after the most bizarre noise that i could find you know yeah so then to me that so the first soul junk record was like well this is what gospel music should be you know right it was the early 90s and by that time you know like some of the some of the like I would listen to 60s and early 70s gospel and I would just be like this is incredible where where did we where did we wander from this uh-huh. you know oh, this yeah. is raw this is pure this is just coming like this is inspired you know and I would listen to late 80s early 90s just like you know jazz chops to the nines you know overproduced in my mind you know just sure. somebody who's listening to the late period coltrane <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like i want to feel this i want to like so yeah the early soul junk was just very much just like let it rip let it roar um way too christian for the weirdos way too weirdo for the christians yeah you know is
0: perfect the perfect storm mm. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely Um, what which album was that Kingdom Fruits song? You know, the Mm, one I'm talking about. I feel like that's a real good example of just like taking the scripture from the Bible, but like making it into like your own thing and like totally owning it and screaming your head off. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah! We'll to you.
0: Yeah, I,
1: so, so, and, and this is by way of answering your last question too. It's, mm-hmm. In other words, okay, so I felt this, this, uh, this call of God to start this new band. And he's like, it's going to be about me. It's going to be about me. And, you know, at that point, all I knew was hymns. Mm-hmm. You know what did I know of sacred music? I knew of hymns. I knew of you know uh, the gospel gospel stuff. I, I was just talking about people would make me you know tapes of James Cleveland, and i was just be like, yes, you know. And yeah. then I knew like at that time it was like, like my girlfriend was taking me, my fiance was taking me to the vineyard, so it was very early vineyard worship, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know I would find things in all of those worlds that I could connect with, but I couldn't write in on any of those worlds. I was sure. just like my brain was just musically I was just not anywhere close to any of those musical worlds, and so i'm like okay god i'm gonna I'm gonna write this band is gonna be about you, so i don't I don't know so I would just like sometimes there would be some songs where I would just I'd just be praying, I'd be just hanging out with God, and I'd just start writing, and there would be some songs where I would just sing verbatim, my stream of consciousness, what I wrote. Uh And then the only other thing I needed to do was to, um, when, when God, God would speak to me in his word, I would like, I would say that just that little bit right there resonates so deeply with me. So I, I would write a song around that. I would connect it with something. Kingdom's fruit's a good idea or, or a good example. Um, very like I was into like all the, um, a good friend of mine, um, uh who now runs Ghana Records one of the guys who runs Ghana Records he had a fan thing called Wipeout and it was all the like you know like super garagey like just it was a great counter to like Coltrane right which is just sure. you know or noise or whatever because garage was just so just like we got two chords we got three chords we're just we're just milking it for all we're worth so I, I love that kind of grounding element that was like my that was my pop you know and so Kingdom's Fruit is just like it's a as I saw it, it was just a, a noisy good garage rocker. And um it when I when I when I wrote that riff, I just heard like there was just this snarl to it. There was just this this like and, and when I read that specific um passage, you know, it was right at the end of Jesus' life where he could where he was he was getting the full brunt of um, the establishment pushing him out Mm -hmm. saying like, we, we've decided you're not, you're not the one, you know? And him like in that space saying like, you're rejecting yourselves. Yeah. You're disqualifying yourselves, you know? And um, just the passion in his voice of how badly he wanted them to get it and how thoroughly they weren't and they were just slamming the door on him and on the on their own their own future as you know whatever could go way off on that but it there was just this energy in what he said there of you know the king the kingdom has been taken from you and it will be given to a non people it would be it'll be given to someone you consider nobody yeah yeah and so that that energy in that in that little phrase he said they're connected with this super raw riff that i'd written and and you're right it's just like it was it was perfect i just got to like go in my it was either my brother's barn outside of his he had this like garage barn thing in uh in inland del mar which is hilarious like the concept of inland del mar if you know san diego um
0: well tell me about that it's like
1: Well, so Del Mar is just a very wealthy area, but if you get at this point in the 90s, if you got east of the five freeway, Mm -hmm. there were these sections where it was just like, just shacks. It was beautiful. It was like, you could be in rural Arkansas for all you knew, you Uh know, but you were, you were right across the freeway from $5 million houses, you know? So it was very funny. Um, but yeah, there was a my uh, my brother was uh, single at the time, and he had a garage barn, and it was just like none of his roommates cared if I just went out there and screamed my head off, you know. Cool. Into a four track.
0: Yeah, good spot. Did, yeah. Oh, and okay, so chronologically, your albums they your albums go forward, your EPs go backward. Yeah your first album's 1950 the last one was what 61 is that right yeah
1: i think we recorded all the way till 63 but but 62 and 63 didn't really get finished or released okay yet, you know so
0: how did i was that just like you called the first one 1950 and then just yeah stuck with it or
1: yeah okay and the reason for that was um, this is around 90 this was in 93 and um like i said i was i was having this um epiphany of of um, like I said I was really trying to get to essential I was connecting the dots between um, just just this weird dissonant noise things and then like what what I was like hearing is like pop music you know and and like I said to me a lot of it was just like simplicity I was like I think hearing in the 50s and the 60s I was seeing these periods of time where Musicians would find out these little tricks where you know, like in the 50s rock and roll was was big band condensed mm-hmm. You know all of a sudden with amplifiers and, and you know volume now you didn't need
0: you didn't need, the whole orchestra. you didn't need
1: exactly 35 people to make a bang, you know Yeah, three or four people could just set a room on fire. And so it was all it was it was like all this energy That came from people who had just ridiculous chops as players, you know and, and, now, and now you don't have to spend all this time coordinating, you know, 35 people to, and transporting all this gear. You can just set up some, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so there's it, all this extra just like energy and, 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 and you have three, four people. So I was like, I was very intrigued with the, the concept of early rock and roll, you know, and then, and just, I would, and then I would see that with hip hop too, you know.
3: Senator vote for new style, we do rile Any crowd with half a clue now Representatives up in the house and you'll die Congressional taking the floor with douchebag Kings, queens and aces gonna taste the juice child bar filibuster beyond the blue now The loop pile Wigging parliamentary Trump cards, we bump hard Replacing four faces with true smile I'ma blow up your oscilloscope, ask the whole
0: yeah, you Soul Junk sort of became more of a hip hop entity about the time I first, I, I think I first saw y'all in maybe like nineteen ninety eight. So
1: when did when did you what did, did you first hear of us?
0: Um, you know, it was uh, our our mutual friend Orlando Greenhill. Yeah, uh, I believe turned me on to um, nineteen fifty five. Okay, because he was. Uh, he was in Havelina rail company which was on jackson rubio records which i don't even remember how the hell i met orlando it was just like it had to happen yeah um in both of our lives we were just destined to meet
1: he's incredible
0: and uh so yeah he i i went to one of his shows somewhere and uh we were looking at like the jackson rubio merch table he's like Hey, hey, Matt! To Matt Wigmore, the guy who ran the label, he's like, "Can I give this to Mark?" And he's like, "Sure." And so he gave me 1955, and it was over. Mm. I was, uh, I was a devotee for life after that. I had never heard such weird-ass, inside-out, space alien hip hop. It's ridiculous. Really like, like psychedelic trance music, mm-hmm. and. uh just experiments in stereo, yeah, and studies on. I I don't know. That album just like there's nothing. There there was nothing like it.
3: Filtering on location we're we're with the slow the speech, the speech Teaching blurry vision Bring we're you
0: much, the not the much the more so Jocular vision
3: Our mission is to phase out The brazen imitation The suckers could be favored But still the they got no flavor Flushed out the touchstone colored by numbers We save you the trouble Of saving as a double of a jump You played out your microphone Trump last summer We slanted down the hammer the slum We carved out my own In the sector by the power of the resurrector, Christ has authority in me, so reap the benefits and don't quit. 16 times dropped on your block, flipping your left back, It's red in your socks, and you rewind your box to the year 3380, the year that infinity, your vicinity, dreams came up with that.
1: It's kind of funny, right? Because if you get it, if that's your starting point, then you're game for anything. Yeah, because yeah. it's two and a half hours. It's it's like unedited, unabridged. You know, it's you're you're finding a band that is is right in writing in like this beautiful confusion of like I was I was at this point where where I mm-hmm. had pushed the limits of of a rock and roll band, and you know the the mid '90s and just hearing these hearing these sounds coming from.
0: you know whatever somewhere whatever rattling around
1: up there yeah somebody's subs and and this was not me at this point like i was driving around listening to all my music on these like you know uh boom boxes that i'd found at thrift stores you know and so all you you know yeah it was just treble and gain and like that i just you know heard roar that's all i was and so so all of a sudden I was hearing this, these these forms of music I had no connection to I had no knowledge of and um, I remember I remember finding my way to um, to some of the weirder drum and bass stuff and like early like yeah. plug and square pusher and like early Apex Twin and this this was just like okay this is this is harnessed noise of a different stripe and mm-hmm. so then I I just dove in and I was writing for all these magazines and would just get all i didn't mean any money time at that time i would get all my new music through writing through magazines and and trading you know whatever i i wasn't listening to all the time to get just uh, this rabid appetite for new music at that time
0: did you know you could rap i mean no (laughs) that that that's the the craziest thing is that you've got a very natural like you have a very natural approach to it yeah uh, the lyrics are just off the <laughs> wall especially coming from your the the band's previous lyrical content sure it got very um, surreal yeah. i want to say yeah um, and you know like like a lot of symbolism and everything like that but just the the wordplay it's like do you you could be like a crossword editor or something, <laughs> <laughs> like, the, just like the crazy twists and turns um, with the English language. That just really interesting
1: choices. I think I think I've always been fascinated with things that seem to defy gravity. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, when I was a kid, like you know, I love like Lewis. You like *Walrus* and *The Carpenter*. You know, like I mm-hmm. I just love stream of consciousness. I mean, I remember being a high schooler and being into T. S. Eliot. You know. Mm-hmm. and abstract like super abstract art and and i just that sort of like dada that absurdist hip-hop thing there were just like in the 90s there were just little glimmers of it because it was so i remember being like in in school late 80s and i remember i had a cassette tape with um, uh, um sex pistols never mind the bullocks on one side and mm-hmm. and public enemies nation of millions on the other side and it yeah. made perfect sense to me like it was just like these are two halves of these are two sides of the same coin yeah you know but to me in in my early exposure to hip-hop it was not party music it was very aggressive which yeah was very just like just tons of aggression tons of just and so the sort of absurdist angle to it um I think, I think, like, hearing some of wu Tang stuff and just Riz's willing, you know, like, like, let's cut the beat at the wrong point. You yeah.
0: Know, just, it's kind of like Chuck D. reading Finnegan's Wake or there something. There Yeah. 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 Um, well, th- thanks for doing that. It really... <laughs> <laughs> Chuck D. Finnegan's Wake. It's, like it, it. it's a lot of fun to listen to. Um, and I, anytime I share that stuff with people, they're just like, how did I not know about this? And then, so Michael Kaufman yes. somehow wound up getting involved and taking that, help. like, you guys kind of became a, a dynamic duo for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, so
1: between 1955, and which was when you started listening, between that and 1956 and 1957 was this transition where, where I kind of lost my band because mm-hmm. um, um, everybody was just at a point where, you know, like, just getting married just having kids just you know getting jobs it was like that kind of like and so we slowly went from you know all being single and just like playing all the time together and just just improvising and just to like hey I you know people being like I can play twice a month like, you know and it was just like yeah. and then um, at the same time um, we, we got picked up by Five Minute Walk for a 1956 record and they were just like basically as much as you can tour we'll book you like if you want to be on the road five months a year we'll, we'll book you and i was starting this business at the time i had i mean jude was uh jude was a little guy he was like four or five years old i wasn't gonna live on the road you yeah know? but i was willing to do you know they would fly me out for like four five, six shows at a time you know weird places in the country and um so I was thinking like this will work, you know. I'll do these little bits and pieces thing, but my the rest of my band was like, no, we're, not, we're we can't do that. You know, we yeah. can't just take weeks off every every month and and uh, so I was I had this weird thing, you know, where I was like doing more and more um, abstract hip hop and and like the the weirdo electro stuff, and so I was kind of thinking, well, maybe I don't, maybe I don't, you know, if I don't have a band, maybe I don't necessarily need a band and then then Michael Kaufman had been in town and I called him up he was he was in New York City at the time in Brooklyn and I just said hey what would you think of um you know kind of being my rhythm section yeah and the beauty of it is Michael is just like well I don't even know what I would do but of course I know what I would do you know he, he just yeah. like he he can come up with anything out of thin air and so we yeah we kind of became this dynamic duo, where he you know I had a guitar with like way too many malfunctioning pedals, and then he <laughs> would play like a chaos pad and like a Casio or you know yeah and then this was and then we hooked up with um I was buying so much um so much like underground hip hop at the time, um there was a guy in downtown San Diego who had a had a store called Tools of the Trade and um I would you know go down there and just be like show me something that will blow my mind and you know he'd he'd just have some bootleg premiere thing or or, or just he really enjoyed the fact that I, you know the early like uh weirdo mad lib and mf doom and mm-hmm. all that stuff in 90s was insane and yeah he loved the fact that i gravitated toward the weirdo stuff so pretty soon he started he would kind of be our like how do you say like kind of the more straight DJ, in Soul okay. Junk terms, straight DJ. It doesn't really mean because he was, he was he still pretty sp- out there. Exactly, yeah. he would spring. He would like play like bizarre breaks, and then he would fragment them and dissect them and throw them out of beat and everything. And then you had Michael over on the other side who was a complete randomizer. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just playing like robot sounds through through. You know, chaos pad.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of very glitchy things (laughs) happening.
1: so that was fun that was a really fun era because it was the three of that that us we rest rest europe to europe and we toured over Europe and played played uh, you know trips to the east coast and stuff to was
0: that Sol junk's first time in europe hmm. Did the no. full band go over there before?
1: I'm trying to I'm trying to think. John and I went over. I think John John and I went over. Did it, did we? Because Truman's would Truman's water would have us um, open for them every now and then. like oh, yeah, um, in Italy and Spain, and sometimes we would soul junk would share truman's drummer kevin cassell and i think my brother john yeah my brother john went with me at least one or two times um but then yeah once once we were like the more like portable rhythm section you know Uh (laughs) then it was easy then it was just like sure
0: (laughs) yeah just show up with a couple backpacks (laughs) exactly and a a guitar and
1: some effects pedals and yeah
0: um yeah You'd never used a guitar strap right yes yeah i I just love that you just cradle it in your elbow, the necks right up neck of the guitar is up against the neck of your body, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah yeah, and uh I really like when you uh i'm just kind of nerding out right yeah, now, yeah but I is. really enjoy when you like kind of wave it around <laughs> like it's an like an actual axe. <laughs>
1: So okay, so the the quick story on that was um, one of the last shows I played regularly as a regular part of Truman's Water in '93. Um, we were at the Casbah, place was packed out. On the second song, I, I broke my strap. Yeah, my strap was just two like belt thrift store belts duct taped together. So of course it broke. Mm-hmm. And I we had a bunch of friends in the audience, and I was like, Hey, could I could I borrow a strap from anybody? Nobody had a strap. So I was like, well, this sucks, because a, a PVT-60 is not a light guitar. And mm-hmm. so I was just like, well, I guess I'll make it through this set. I w- you know, it was like one of those things where you just feel like, well, the set is ruined. We'll just make it through as best as we can. Yeah. And then somewhere around the, like, fourth or fifth song, I was like, this is actually this is actually doable. Like, I'm, I'm going to actually be able to make this and have fun with it. And by the end of the set, I was really enjoying it, you know and um the weird i guess the weird glitch in it is i've i've played my own tuning ever since 1990 1991 i made made up my own tuning and so and it's and it's very very caveman it's all e's and b's yeah so big power chord right right so um i think that allows for me to be to be able to like every chord formation i'm not doing these weird things i can cradle it between these you know and so so I found like this works. So then after that show, I, I just thought, Hey, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And I got a lighter guitar from a pawn shop,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you
1: know, some $10 guitar that was super light.
0: Yeah. You got what? a like a K or a Dan Electro or,
1: well now I have a Dan Electro, but at that time it was like a no name, you oh. know, $10 guitar.
0: Nice. And,
1: um, um, but yeah, no, it, it became something where I'm like, I, I love this. And, and, uh, Um, so I, you know, I, I played a Les Paul for a while and then I had to wear a strap, but then I just kind of figured out, like I, I do better with single pickups and, and lighter, like I'm going for a less meatier sound, you know, Uh (laughs) a less meaty sound. So yeah. So the thinner guitars, the down electros were great. And I think in Soul Junk later, like later in Soul Junk and in Octogrape, especially exactly what you're saying about like in between the notes the guitar can be in the air yeah there is no step so it, there were a lot of <laughs> sets where like i would go out and i'd be like okay how much
0: of the set can the guitar be in the air because <laughs> it can you know um, you ever had any uh any unfortunate accidents w- wielding your axe like that yes yeah it, Anybody well take it to the skull or no okay well i did hit Jude. <laughs>
1: it was not nice. It was That's like... That's your son? My son, yeah. he was... Uh, and it was during the... It was at Biola. It was during the Jackson Rubio days. Uh-huh. So you might have even been there. We were playing with Javelina.
0: Yeah, it could have been. I went to a bunch of those. Jude came up on stage.
1: He was like five years old. And he just came up and he had this plastic guitar and he was jumping around. And I think he actually got... I, I was jumping around. I don't know if the guitar hit him or I hit him.
0: but he. Oh, man. It, it wasn't like you know it, it, you guys are okay now we're though okay. right we're yeah okay <laughs> so you, you mentioned octogrape yep i don't want to skip over because we talked about like sort of the the deep glitchy hip-hop era yeah um and you sort of transitioned back into like more of a heavy sludgy ultra biblical theme yeah um yeah, good, good. So
1: chronologically, just in a more linear, like, so yeah, you, you, you open up with the super, like,
0: skronky
1: Scronky, like, free jazz, and then just, just super thin, two guitar, and, and, um, destroyed drums mm-hmm. you know stuff that that characterizes the early albums then the then the like an actual rock band forms around that mm-hmm. you know so you have a little more full spectrum you know rock right era. say
0: 1953 53
1: would be and 54. part of 55 yeah yeah,
0: part of the yeah. yeah, 55 had a lot of rock on it
1: yeah and like recorded it at a, at a big bigger studio sound f-
0: fully realized yeah yeah
1: and then transitioning into um into more of the the glitch hop stuff mm-hmm. you know um 1956 had more like garage rock and you know glitchy hip-hop
0: it's like a little bit of like baroque hip-hop even yeah yeah Some you're totally it. right we had like <laughs> the
1: string section and, uh-huh. and checking yeah. if
3: you church got built man let's liquidate the physical let's see what still stands. Cause if your church not made with hands Indivisible, one mind, divisible, that's right And if your church got built by man Let's liquidate the physical, let's see what still stands cause if the church not made with hand, visible one mind invisible, that's right i see what you call the church getting chubby in the way, so if I ain't to your taste, have some peace, take some grace, but let's get the inner tube out, religious middle, where tradition reigns supreme, and the spirits that can fiddle these live their life on their some milk and chewing the cat, that's why it's time for eat my flesh and drink my
1: was, blood I love, I love doing that um, um, I think Bowie was a huge, I love the Bowie weird string arrangements, you uh-huh. know, so um, so that was that era, and then then you're right, then it, it um, then it went like full, you know, fifty seven and fifty eight were just just straight up glitch hop, you know, there was no yeah. rock band, very
0: harsh, yes, uh, sonically, yes, yes, um, 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 yeah. yeah, I was I was very touched by those, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that was fun, that was fun. Um, and then it was, uh, I guess, is it '59?
1: Yeah. So then, at that point, Michael moved away, and um, and I was playing a ton in my in my little church, and I just kind of looked up and was just like, "Whoa, Soul Junk's not really playing or doing records, and this is such an important part of me." And so that's when I wrote '59, and it was it was a return to kind of like. The, there's a little bit of the um you know lo-fi hip-hop in there but it's not so like grating and aggressive as fifty seven, fifty eight at sure. all
0: yeah it's it's a little more um a little poppier yeah musically yeah and was, you are just cramming yes those psalms in there right it's the book of psalms yes i
1: got this whole thing and i remember telling michael when michael was still in soul junk like i'm just gonna like instead of writing my own raps i'm just gonna wrap the whole bible that was my thing i was like i'm going to wrap the whole bible every every album will be an entire book of the bible and i remember michael
0: just being like really uh-huh that's that's gonna be tricky that's a challenge that's a challenge you know and you got you made some you made some headway yeah. there uh yeah. i i didn't even realize that i i was going through your discography on Bandcamp, which is great now you got all that stuff up there that like a lot of small press stuff and yeah um you did like genesis and exodus on half, there half of or two-thirds of exodus two-thirds like of exodus yeah. um and then i just realized some... like this is really dense it is very dense it's very dense there's but a lot of words there's uh, you you do uh get some hooks in there somehow <laughs> though <laughs> i'm gonna here we'll hear this is a little bit <laughs> okay. of exodus here When I was going to play but I, I don't think I'd decide anyways <laughs> yeah um, so are you are you still planning on is this still a life goal of yours So no at, at that no. point I just realized like okay the psalms are
1: actually th- this is th-
0: they're intended as th- songs. they are intong- intended
1: to be songs and so I started singing entire psalms and that was 1959 was the first 23 psalms all verbatim um
0: talking a lot about statutes. Sl- yes. And well no, no, that's No, that's sick 1960. N- that's 1960. Okay.
1: And so there's a big transition between those two because um 1959 is is still the, you know, uh hoppy kind of stuff with um actual songs written over the, you know, uh, guitar songs or piano songs written over them where I'm singing the first 23 psalms. 1960 is your right. that's when it gets into like all of a sudden i just realized i miss the the just ridiculous like um just massive rock cacophony that i had going with truman's water i really started missing that you know large rock feel yeah dissonant large rock and um and I, I got this weird, we were down in Mexico doing something and, and and somebody was blaring an ELO song and I was just like, what an amazing concept. If we could like blend these ridiculous string arrangements of this early ELO stuff and like a dissonant, like, you know, Truman's water, USA is a monster, like mm-hmm. this, just massive dissonant guitar rock. And um, so that was the inspiration for 1960 and it's all of Psalm 119 and were correct. There's tons of precepts and statues. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: I I think when once you have like a motif in like especially in something sort of like a concept album yeah just every time that motif comes back up you're like okay I'm back home yes yes (laughs) there's a lot of words going on here but I got I got my I got
1: my statutes you you have your (laughs) statutes right you you have your testimonies Daniel Daniel uh Smith was really good at at um the, of Danielson family. Exactly. Yeah. He recorded that record. We recorded that record together in um, in South Jersey. He actually recorded it, and I just played it with the band. And um, we, we had a we had a makeshift band for that album, which was wonderful. It was um, Brian Cantrell, who I'd played with previously on 1952 and 1953, like the earlier Soul Junk Rock stuff. And we had played in hardcore bands together in high school. And so he was he was great he flew out to jersey and he was like the the proper drummer on that record and he could deliver the thunder and then um for the rest of the band we had um emil nicolefson from oslo um from the band um silver um, oh come on but he was in royal um emil's amazing he, he did a record with todd runrin recently <laughs> oh wow yeah um so he uh he played bass and then todd fatal from portland played uh keys and so it was just like nobody really knew the songs before we showed up but like those players just got it and delivered it and I, and that record was so much fun to do um but yeah it was an anomaly because that band never played together live sure you know yeah um
0: and then the the next album 61. '61.
1: That's when the family band really kicked in. Because right when I came back from recording 1960, Jude was 11 and he was 10, 11. He was starting to play drums and he was getting really sick of the rudiments, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the precepts. He just wanted to like rock. So he was listening to my rough mixes of 1960 and he loved them. And he would just, there was one day I came home and I heard him downstairs practicing and i i thought i recognized that beat and i went down there i'm like what are you playing and he had the headphones on he was playing with my rough mixes from that record and i and i had my amp down there i was like do you want me to just like play the song you know take the headphones off he's like that would be great and that's how we started playing together oh cool and uh so so we we made this crazy transition from you know brian cantrell this amazing drummer who played for decades you know and was like bringing the thunder rock and all of a sudden now my 11 year old son is playing those songs you know yeah your spawn yes just yeah. rocking his face off and that was like 1961 was was written out of that you know um kind of that energy of like oh we can play every night if we want. Fifteen twenty minutes downstairs, and my daughter started playing keys with us, and we just, and then my at once a week, my two brothers would come over and join us, John and Brian. Yeah, and that became the family band, and uh,
0: yes, wow, yeah, that's that's the dream, I guess. I <laughs> my daughters are yeah two and four, and we don't have a drum kit, but anytime they see one. They attack. Yeah, they they love it. Yeah, they'll uh, both they'll take up half the drum kit each, and both blast out their own beats and sing their own songs. Yeah, separate from each other at the same time. Yeah, and it's great. Um, just to, I mean, I'm I'm guessing Judah was like that. In, yeah, he in some way.
1: he really was, and, and and I I feel like I've always had this this um, sense that you know. Um, i remember i remember thinking kids could learn free jazz you know Mm -hmm. of course kids don't necessarily want to listen to free jazz (laughs) yeah not necessarily but at the same time it's just like you know there is something just incredibly um naively beautiful about that of like we don't pretend to know anything let's just let's just go with what is coming out right now on whatever instrument is in front of us right now and that's how a kid plays music yeah you put you put things to to bash in front of them they will bash them you know and Mm -hmm. that's the way um i learned to play drums for the first soul Junk album is i i i realized when i left truman's water that i was stepping out into midair and none of my again none of my weirdo rock friends were going to be able to follow me into making this god music Mm -hmm. and um, none of my god friends were going to understand the context musically so the first two albums were just all me yeah. And I didn't play drums really at that time. And so what I did was I had a friend with the studio who gave me a key to to his back room where the drums were set up. I bought a $400 drum set on Craigslist or whatever existed. The, the, white, the recycler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then just would come in and bash for three hours a day. And so I did that for three weeks straight. And then we recorded 1950. So it was just me being like a four-year-old with a drum set and you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. when I would bash for three hours I wouldn't do rudiments I wouldn't play beats I would just I would do whatever I wanted I just would just hit stuff and then let it turn into something and it was really fun um talking to drummer friends afterwards who would who would you know of course my meter was terrible all the like things that drummers know to do I didn't know to do and I did them terribly but at the same time the intuitive parts my drummer friends would just be like how did you think to do that that's you know yeah it's like because I didn't think it just came out and and I made it work you know so
0: that's yeah that's childlike nature that's
1: the fun of playing with kids and playing with your kids or
0: playing even as a grown-up playing something you've never played before yes yeah yes as long as oh um, like talking about my kids again i i bought a saxophone last year and uh for last summer anytime i tried to pull it out camille would run up with like a ball or a toy or whatever she could find and just stuff it in the bell and say papa please put the saxophone away that's awesome so i uh i couldn't even practice because i'm like it sounds bad but it's because you won't let me play a little bit isn't that funny
1: (laughs) she just like wouldn't give you the space to get past the abcs yeah yeah yep
0: well um i think we're gonna we're gonna be wrapping it up here um you wanna you wanna give a little uh give a little blessing for your uh your new fans out there or yeah
1: i mean thank you for thank you for listening and and there's there is quite a quite a uh tome of musical material if you if you have listened to just a bit of us or or none of us there's there's just hours and hours of of uh all of what we've just talked about and
0: i, I honestly haven't even heard it all I, you know, no, I, I i learned of stuff i didn't know existed in the last few days thinking i was the uh, you know i thought i had the whole cannon down but
1: <laughs> yeah i mean listening back to it it's 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 hilarious and and i'm proud of just the fact that like i don't do anything halfway and i'm mm-hmm. proud that i did things that i'm very embarrassed of i just think like i i love i love the fact that i didn't i didn't i wasn't afraid to be embarrassed of something later. And, and there's something in it that I'm like, I think the only reason I'm embarrassed of it is because it's me. Whereas if I heard someone else do that, I would just be like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) what reality do you exist in that made that? Okay. And I love that, you know? Um, And that's, that's a lot of the catalog is just, is just, you know, being in midair and not not having any self-consciousness about it and uh and uh, so it's uh, anyone who's diving in it's like yes bless you (laughs) enjoy yourself (laughs) height for listening
0: (laughs) awesome well everybody thanks for checking this out this has been glenn galloway of soul junk i'm mark lee morrison and you've been listening to low profile thanks a lot glenn love Love you love you
2: Peace, 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 peace. My peace, I leave with you. Not as the world gives it all.